You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm more inspired by anything by unfinished business, you know, like we're a band that disappeared for a while. We're back in every album we do. I'm out to like show that there's only Exodus in the world of thrash metal and a bunch of fucking pretenders. So <laughs> <laughs> we're out late in our lives trying to make, leave our mark, you know, and like, um, as you know, people have always considered as one of the founding fathers, but that's not good enough for me to just be known as one of the guys that started it. I want to be one of the fuckers who finished it. Hey, welcome to another episode of 2020. My name is Corey Peza here, uh, as sometimes with just Ben, uh, Siobhan, Siobhan is, is missing. She, uh, I just got our text message. It says, it says, uh, you got to give me an out at two thirty-five at the latest. I don't think I gave her an out. Yeah, I, I did. I was paying attention. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> oh, uh, we have we have a great uh, episode this week. It, it's part two with Gary Holt of Exodus and Slayer. Slayer! Right. Thank you for blowing everyone's Slayer! drums out. <laughs> uh, just a really really great dude, and and a ton of history in in the thrash metal scene. So a lot to learn. I, I gotta tell you, I was so excited by the fact that this guy's so fucking positive. He's just like such a great disposition. He's like, no, my whole body's falling apart and I have all this family I need to take care of and there's coyotes outside, but man, I love playing metal. Guy's awesome. Yeah, and so let's just get right back into it. This is part two with Gary Holt on 2020. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Siobhan Cronin, back for another episode of 2020, here as always with my cohorts and my co-hosts, my friends, my bandmates, Benny Goodman and Corey Peza, and we are so excited to return for part two with the legendary Gary Holt of Exodus Slayer, a philosopher, super positive guy, and I've been so grateful to get to know you just in part one, so if you haven't gone back, please go back and listen, watch part one, and we are back for part two to dive into even more depth with the amazing Gary Holt. So thanks for joining us once again. You're welcome. You know, it's been, it's been a week, but... It's been, it looks, it's, you know. it's been a week, What's but we're wearing the, the same outfits. <laughs> we don't own other These clothes. These people don't change their clothes, do they? <laughs> <laughs> um, at the, uh, the end of the, the last episode, we, we started kind of promoting the, the upcoming tour, uh, and, and you mentioned kind of your last experience touring ended, you know, obviously abruptly and, and with some sickness and everything with going on. So what does this upcoming tour mean to you as far as that perspective goes? Um, a return to normalcy. You know, we went through the whole pandemic, you know, my drummer, Tom hunting, you know, went through his stomach cancer battle and, oh and he survived it and he's back, you know, and ready to hit the road and hit the stage, you know, without a stomach anymore, you know, um, but he's got the all clear. He's the nothing to see here. Cancer free. And so a lot has happened, wow. you know, and so this is a big moment for us. You know, we fought through and overcome all kinds of shit, you know, 
you know, I found myself sitting in the here in the hills, you know, during the pandemic with my drummer, you know, facing a life changing battle and can't play and can't do anything. And I found myself just sitting outside, just getting hammered some days. And, um, you know, and some days I didn't drink at all. Some days I pound them down. And uh, I just, but the main thing is I found myself getting in really dark places. You know, I've never been that guy. I've always been a happy drunk. So I quit drinking. We're about to go out on tour. We're about to do what we love doing. It's kind of weird though. I've spent two years at home being around my grandchildren and stuff. And so, you know, it's going to be a slight little bit of pulling me out of the house at the same time too, you know, kind of gotten used to not being away, you know, <laughs> but, um, but I'm bringing on, I can't wait. That's great. Sure. Well, like what are, speaking of being at home, I mean, what are some other things that you've done or, you know, projects that you've taken on in the time being, being home from touring and being away from all of that travel? You know, where I live, it's it's a constant project because, you know, it's like you're in the kind of in the woods, you know, you, the work never ends here. You know, you know, I was here six months when a massive oak tree fell on my deck in part of the house. You know? <laughs> I was sitting there ready to watch a basketball game and heard this like sounded like thunder and then this whoosh. And I looked and the house shook and there's a giant tree on my deck that's not supposed to be there. So, you know, you deal with shit like that. And then we cut down some more and you're constantly having to clear, you know, the land, you know, for fire hazards and, and shit like that, you know, but, um, it's awesome. The peace and quiet here. Yeah. Wonderful. It's beautiful here. It's like just oak trees and hawks and shit and deer and pretty rad. Yeah, absolutely. So are you prepared for that, uh, the shift back to tour life then, you know, being such a, a big kind of leap from that, that lifestyle that you, I'm guessing it's probably been, you know, aside from, you, you know, the nineties, the that hiatus, like it's got to be one of the bigger kind of uh, juxtapositions in terms of lifestyle that's happened recently. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm ready. I can't wait. You know, I can hit the stage again. Ugh. It's going to be fucking rad. <laughs> you know, we played like four shows, I think, since the pandemic started, you know, and they were all like one-offs, you know, um, and they were all super fun. We did two of them with John Tempesta, you know, filling in on drums because Tom wasn't quite healthy enough to do it yet. And that was fun because, you know, it was like bringing some of the, the old guys back together. And um, But, you know, we're a united front again and uh, can't wait. I mean, I got to tell you, I'm excited because you were supposed to come around and then it got rescheduled and I, I just was hanging out with Skolnick and he was like, you got to come see us on the 27th of October and it's you guys. I'm like, wait a minute, I was just talking to Gary. So I'm, I'm so excited that I get to see Exodus and Testament and I've never seen Death Angel. So, so I'm, good, so good live. I mean, I've been listening to them since I was 11. So there's that, but I just, I guess I just missed it because I'm, you know, I'm 39. So it's like, Nirvana, like yeah. all the bands that I loved were like pretty much pushed out. So I was like, ah, oh. and now of course I love Nirvana at 39. But like at the time <laughs> I was like, but what happened to my metal? Yeah. I can't, I'm, you know, speaking of Alex, you know, he's a really good friend. I can't wait to hang out with Alex, you know, he's a funny dude, you know, and a good guy to hang out with. I always like to, lately my little secret is I like to troll Alex over his messy pedal boards. <laughs> <laughs> I totally troll him. 
Let's talk about it. <laughs> he's been he's been on the show a few times. He's a good friend yeah. of ours. So yeah, it's it's funny a, to talk about him. A I photographer friend of mine, Tava Martinez, one of my wife's best friends, also posted a photo of Alex at I think it was one of the Stu Ham kind of things or something he did, and his mm-hmm. pedal board was just a disaster of spaghetti <laughs> cables all over the place. And I was like, man, you need me to build you a pedal board, Alex. <laughs> oh my gosh, you and my husband have a lot in common. I'm definitely the Alex in the relationship. I've got cables everywhere, and my husband is a guitar out on my player. Bench and I, I build pedal boards, you know, and I don't, I'm not even sitting there custom making my cables, but mine are neat and tucked away and controlled and uh, with isolated inputs and outputs on the side of the pedal oh, man. it's, it's the jazz it's the jazz influence that's what's doing Dude, I, <laughs> sure. I gotta tell you i have an entire room of amps and i just i i love cory brought a kemper over to my house a few years ago and i had like a 5150 i had like a mesa cab a bogner cab like four different microphones and no matter what i got nowhere close to michael britt's just directly plugged in keyboard sound or the kemper and I was like, okay, I give up. So I have VHTs and Splons and JCM 800s and all kinds of stuff over there. But like, I used to plug in a tuner and I'd be like, is this making noise? What's making noise? And like, you're the, the light in three rooms over. And then you'd get a Furman rack and they'd be like, oh, it's power condition. And then your friend would turn on the light again. And it was a lie. So I just, all that isolated, buffered, like, no, I don't believe any of it, Gary. None of it's true for me. It all makes noise. I can't I do it. I love my campers. I use them for fly-ins, you know, because obviously, like, say, for instance, Exodus goes to South America. You know, I mean, you know, sometimes the amps are not going to be what you want. But I've recently gone back to real amps, and uh, no, there's there's no comparison. The Kemper is amazing, but where that real amp shines over any profiling amp is solos, guitar leads. There's a transparency. But you have a guitar tech, right? You have a guitar tech. Yeah. See, that's the difference. So for a plebeian like me, who doesn't want to go check the 421 or is the SM57 axis, why does it sound like shit? Oh, the vintage 30 is fucking blown. Uh, I don't want to know that shit. I just want to plug in like a keyboard and it works. But you're right. (laughs) If you have like the Silver Jubilee, right? And then you have all your stuff and you have a guy that can do all the tap dancing that can also build a pedal board like you. I would do that. But other than yeah. that, give me a Kemper. <laughs> no, the Kemper rules. But see, when I use a Kemper, I run it into an amp. I don't use the direct out. I run it into the effects return, and then I got power tubes, and I got speakers, and I'm only using it as a preamp. You know, I have like a Pelican case that I've cut and fit for like fly-in gigs. It's got a small pedal board, fits in one slot, a toaster, Kemper fits in the other. <laughs> Everything fits in it. And I take an Anki case with two guitars and that, and my entire gig is in two cases. It's rad. You know, it's totally yeah. awesome. And it sounds that's, crushing. It sounds killer. That's you know? the best. Yeah, <laughs> that just makes me happy because like I I see like the Ingve Malmsteen wall of amps like yeah man if you could push in seven of your Gary Holt cabs with all the fucking lights like you know there's really speakers in them God bless your fucking tech me give me a one five inch speaker cab that's not even plugged in and just go directly in the board I'm done Yeah I, uh, don't just, even put me through the monitors I need speakers I need to be able to feedback man I need you know I need that shit. Yeah. But I love my I love the campers, you know. I have I have like three of them, you know, and I use them all over the place, you know. Just here at home, I have my perfectly like work of art, the wiring in it. Anders Aho is a longtime friend of mine, and he was Kerry King's tech for several years. He built it, and the the, the cabling on it, it's just 
it's just amazing it's perfect and everything switches with the voodoo labs gcx and ground control and it's at the heads but that's my u.s rack you know i'm not shipping it anywhere you know this is exodus we don't have that kind of money well, do you think you can learn a lot <laughs> from a guitar player's rack so like if i go look at alex skolnick i mean i know the guy now like i feel like i could learn something from how messy his spaghetti cables are but maybe mm, he has really yeah. great you know japanese boss era stuff like you're like oh okay he's got the heavy metal but the david <laughs> gilmore one okay but it's plugged in with like this crappy hosa cable what the hell from 1987 yeah, you know, I, I buy shitty cables all the time <laughs> i don't believe in expensive cables i think it's no, a lie i mean i don't buy the cheapest junk because you know the solders are bad and stuff but you know well, yeah. I, I, yeah. you know yeah. i i buy cheap cable i buy average cost cables you know i'm not gonna spend a hundred dollars on a 20 foot cable hell no <laughs> I'm gonna spend 25 bucks on Amazon and find that cable. You know, I need some cables. You know, but you know, you want to learn shit from Alex? Just watch his hands. You know, it's fucking. Watch the well, play. Watch the. You know, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I challenged him the though. board, not the player. I brought I brought Bumblefoot down when we were hanging out. So it was funny because you know Alex. He's so he was pulling out all this jazz modulation shit, but Bumblefoot's like the grandmaster Miyagi, and even then he's like, "But it's this change and this change." And I was like, "Oh, you're right," because he knows. But Bumblefoot's like this oracle of knowledge, so it was fun yeah. because it's like watching the chess master and the machine. With the demeanors are so different the, the too, Gandalf which is funny. Of guitar, <laughs> yeah, those guys are. I, I don't even want to play anymore. Like, like, why? Are, oh, you're pretty good, dude. Don't even give me a guitar. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna leave now. Those guys are outrageous. Yeah, I don't want to compete with you guys. They're crazy. Fuck that. <laughs> good thing. Good thing. Live. Sometimes people are more impressed by hitting one note and holding the guitar above your head. Yeah, <laughs> it's way more sure. badass. It's yeah, way, more, way badass. more badass. Way more badass to hit a high whammy bar note and hold your guitar over your head by the whammy bar for like sixty seconds. Well, what was it, Miles Davis, <laughs> that said it's like you know ten percent the note you play and like ninety percent like the attitude of the motherfucker playing it. Yeah, like it's complete, complete. Yeah, something like I bastardized it. I'm sorry, but that's pretty much. I agree because you know when you have all this modern again video game style music. Like I don't mean to call it out, but like I listen to something like Dragon Force, and God bless Herman Lee. He's a nice guy from everything I've seen and all, but I can't listen to it. I can't understand with all this modern stuff that just because you can play faster, I feel like Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park. Just because you can't doesn't mean that you should. Do you feel like there's a certain point where metal gets too fast, like just because you can? Because like no, you guys I mean, are like, I'm as guilty as anybody. I play stupid fast stuff too, but you know, I try to like, I play super fast rock guitar. So th there's the big difference there, you know. But I've always said that you know, I'll take an Angus Young pick slide over half these guys like full entire guitar solos, and I'll 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 play name that tune with an Angus Young pick slide. Yeah, these dudes will do all this sweep shit, and I'm like, I don't know what it is. I have no idea. <laughs> well, you can't hum it, dude. You can't hum it. That's the thing. It's like, uh, that's one of the things, uh, again, about like you know a band like Megadeth. I, that was the first band that I went and saw that was a metal band where the crowd was actually singing back the riffs. And you're listening, da 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 I'm like, okay. And that for me is like my producer mind was like, okay, if Beavis and Butthead can go da 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 maybe it's catchy. And maybe yeah, there's something yeah, to maybe, that. Maybe Versus it's just like Rusty cooling it. And I love Rusty. But like, man, I can only handle so much of that before my brain explodes. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 an old get off my lawn guy, you know. Just I listen. <laughs> people say what guitar players you listen to are like, you know, Angus Young, Richie Blackmore, Michael Schenker, Rory Gallagher, you know. Les what Dudek, is it about their playing you know? that draws you to them? Just out of curiosity, is it something about tone or composition or virtuosity? Songs within songs, you know. They their solos were songs within a song. And uh, mm -hmm. like Michael Schenker, for instance, I mean, obviously he's like, to me, depending on my mood, he's either the number one guitar player on earth or number two. You listen to how funky that man was. He's a German guy who was as funky as Bootsy Collins on some of his riffs, you know, like crazy. Eddie mm -hmm. Van Halen was funky as hell, too. He yeah. stares down at me every time I make a decision. There I go, go. What, would, what would Shaker stay? And, and he goes... Rudolph doesn't know better. I play a V. And that's it. <laughs> that's the story. Michael's you know, a real like, V player. You know, you got these guys who can, can play, you know, some miraculous stunt guitar, but, you know, can they ever craft a song in a song like Brian May can? You know, the, those are just legendary solos, you know, because they're, you, they're musical. They're... They they add to the song and you know I mean I'm guilty too sometimes I just run out of ideas play this one pentatonic lick as fast as I can and grab the whammy bar you know but um I'm trying <laughs> it's, it serves its purpose though like <laughs> hey, you know, I, I, I like that stuff too you know like uh, Zach Wilde's one of my heroes you know and um and there's nobody as fast as him nobody is fast in anyway but it's so sick. That guy's got the craziest endurance. I tell this story because I, I went and saw him with Generation X and he like literally walks off the stage like in the middle of NIB and he's going for 10 minutes. I had to go take a piss. Cliff he actually notes of this, walked please, in, Ben. He, he walked out in front of me and literally he's still playing and he played for like, he has to play for 20 minutes straight doing crazy pentatonic riffs without ever, like if you took a, a metronome, he doesn't miss. It's like... I can't even imagine doing that for five minutes. Nevertheless, NIB, no, no, Zach either. Wild time. It's nuts. All that, I mean, strength, you know. That's it's, inhuman, it's dude. That's Nugent level. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it, you know. So there's a, there's a total place for, like, high-speed playing when it's just, I love high-speed ripping rock blues playing. It's when they start getting the left, the right hand all, you know, like down. It just doesn't look cool. I'm sorry. I see guys up there in the, like, uh, you know, doing all this shit. Like I saw a recent commercial. Was it for some insurance commercial or something? Where some guy sitting there like, and he's oh, talking. Oh, I saw that too. It's weird, man. It's weird. It's like, but that's what they look like when they're soloing. It's just not cool how are you gonna headbang and rock and rage doing that you're gonna do it over your head then i might be impressed <laughs> so how it seems like the show is important to you too and on, on top of playing like uh, to, to what degree is that like an essential element of the experience of watching a guitar player like the actual showmanship of it it's everything you're supposed to be a showman where you know i grew up on these guys who were just awesome players and they were awesome on stage and and um, I was never interested in the guy who stood there looking at his shoes the whole show. You know, um, I always wanted to be, I had more in common with Angus Young and Eddie Van Halen in his youth. And look at what a performer Randy Rhodes was, you know, just like awesome showman, you know, like, and we're supposed to do that. 
it's the whole rock guitar hero thing, you know, like, and um, I, I, I don't know, maybe I'm just a show off. <laughs> no, but that's good. It's, that sometimes yeah. it has to be learned. It's interesting because that's something that I mean I struggle with to a degree. And I'm I'm curious: is that something you had to practice, or what? Did it feel natural when you stepped on stage? That that's just the persona that you were meant to take on. It, from my first show I ever played, I was uh, one of the other local bands that opened. I'd heard that he was going around talking because it's my first ever gig, and he said, "Yeah, it, he was pretty good, but he was kind of a show off, you know." Because I knew this is what I want to do, and I rocked my first show. It's like fucking, this is for me, <laughs> and um, it's just what we do, you know. I mean, yeah, that's I'm trying to put on the show. Yeah, but the, that's something we didn't really touch on in the last episode either. Is it you know? At, at, how did you know that that's what you wanted to do? You picked up guitar, you know, kind of late teens, right? How, at what point did you decide this is what I want my life to be? Because that's a pretty big leap. You know, some people say, oh, I am grow up and I want to be this or that. But being a musician is like a pretty, you know, how did you decide that? How did, how did you know that was going to be your future? Seeing these heroes of mine on stage, I wanted to do what they're doing. And then I got the the chance, you know, the ability to like learn and I learned really quick. And then like from there, it's just, just all full speed, full speed ahead, you know? And then I realized I'm really good at writing riffs, you know? So, you know, just everything kind of came together, you know, it wasn't like, Oh, he could play, but you know, he's not a writer, you know, that's means more to me than shredding. You know, I, you know, if, if I had to give up, lead playing or riff rhythm playing the leads are gone fuck that there's a lot of guys who could do that shit for me you know i'm gonna play the rhythm that's what matters that's the one thing that always gets me mad is when i see guitarists who have never put any effort into learning to be a good rhythm player and they're shredding <coughs> and then the rhythms suck and dude you're sh you're playing so your solo is 10 15 seconds and the song is six and a half minutes you concentrate on the rest of it bro yeah well, that's yeah. amazing that you it's say that because Corey point. and I, uh, well, we are all in a band called Lost Symphony and we play with some um, uh, incredible guitarists. But one thing I've always prided myself on and one thing I've always loved about Corey is he's just the most solid rhythm player. And we play with so many players that we could even fathom doing anything that they do. But we're like, did he did not do the chugga chugga right? He's like, nah. <laughs> so like, there's been plenty of times we've come in and we've done cleanup for the most insane guitarists at, 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 that like on the planet and we're just like oh and I feel like there's a lot of players a, a lot of really incredible lead players that don't have the the Hetfield thing going on and like one thing I've always admired about your playing is that you guys just have relentless rhythm and I say to anybody who's ever taken a lesson from me all three people that if you don't have rhythm you got nothing and like yeah, you for me nothing. you got nothing you got nothing but there are a lot of guitar players now who are shredding and then when the riff comes you know and i see guys i follow some of them that they can really play a rhythm guitar, rhythm now but you know it it requires way more work it's like i compare it to being a basketball player because i'm a huge basketball junkie there's a lot of guys in the history of the nba who were scoring machines and they could not defend to save their lives because defense in basketball requires far more effort than offense. Way more. Yeah, I mean, you know, you get, you don't know where the guy's going with the ball and it's just a lot harder. And there's some guys out there who, who could give you, you know, 20 average, 25 points a game for an entire season, but they're just a sieve when it comes to defense because they don't want to put in the work. It's a lot harder to to nail down six, seven, eight minutes of brutal riffing 
mm-hmm. is to just coast through it. And then, like, here comes my solo, and oh, I'm badass. And now, like, the sound man's pulling me out of the mix entirely because <laughs> my rhythm playing sucks, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's an, again, stamina and focus. And yeah, I mean, just like holding down the rhythm as a drummer, too. It's like I always think about what a luxury it is to be a violinist playing in a band where someone else yeah. is entirely responsible for keeping everything going. You can you know? always spot. The guy who's a killer rhythm player because his right arm, if he's right-handed, his right arm's going to be way bigger than his left arm. <laughs> yeah. And it's not yeah. some other shit. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have. I have to tell you, I got really excited um, because I wanted to go back and you know see some live shows and all that. And I saw your live uh, whack in two thousand eight performance, and it was of of a funeral hymn. And I forgot that it's like almost nine fucking minutes. Yeah, and I'm like, dude, I watched the whole thing, and it was just brutal and you guys were so like everything just sounded i mean the 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 mix from the board's incredible but you guys played so fucking tight and i'm like again i have so much more reverence for the ability that nine minutes straight and you could just see the whole audience and the groove is just Dude, I, and I, I i shouldn't drive and listen to your music is what tom, tom hunting wants to put that song back in the set and i told him Maybe in a few months, I got to get back to playing that level. You know, it's like that song's hard to play, and it doesn't brutal. It, it doesn't get easier until after the second chorus. You know, when it slows down before the solo sections come up. And um, I said, "Yeah, I got to work back up to that." I've been sitting at home for two years. Oh, and also in this whole pandemic thing, I was dealing with like the the downside of like years of cortisone injections to deal with tennis elbow in both the arms. Oh my gosh, yeah. And I, I got to the point, you know, where I couldn't play it more than five minutes, you know, like I went through like months of physical therapy. I've had more cortisone injections than I can remember. And now those are gone. I can't have them anymore. I, I shredded and tore all my tendons and ligaments in my elbows. Wow. So let, let's and talk I, about that. That's, that's interesting. So it, what are some of the things that, because you're clearly into preventive health in a lot of ways too. We were talking about diet in the first half. What are some of the things that you're doing now to, to really in a healthy way, build up your strength or get ready for that? Because that is, I mean, it's fast. It's a lot of movement and it's a lot of repetitive motion. You can really yeah. injure yourself. Well, it started with one arm, then the other joined in back when I was out with Slayer. And, you know, we had to keep working. So, you know, the First time I went and got a cortisone injection, I was like, all right, that's awesome. It lasted like six months. And then you just, all right, you know, I got a tour. Give me another one. Give me another. And then the other arm. And like, so I'm getting, and what they do is it's just a Band-Aid. It just masks the problem beneath right. it, you know. And uh, and I got MRIs uh, last year. And like the left was like a near complete tendon tear and complete ligament tear and the right was fucked up but you know just all this physical therapy like two pound barbells sitting there like doing these little like curls and and stretches and stuff and i now i i do a show with no problems now i still every now and then i'll do something and i feel a little twinge but you know i'm i'm pretty much healed but you know there's certain aspects of my own guitar playing that are a little bit tougher for me now like down picking you know, I on the last album tracking when we uh, recorded uh, the beatings will continue. I was doing well with my last round of injections, and I blew the arm out badly tracking that one. Like, you wow. know, by the time the album was done, you know, I'm glad it was done because it was starting to be a problem, and then it got worse and worse. 
but uh, you know, so I'm still working my way back to playing some of my own songs, you know, it is what it is. Sure. Yeah. Well, that's the reality of just wear and tear. You know, it's yeah, it's a lot on the body for sure. Dude, yeah, sure. that's out. That's that's weird because I I feel like I that echoes my whole. I just had an MRI not not long ago, and I've been in a pool for six months doing this because <laughs> I have degenerative disc disease apparently, yeah. and uh, like a bulge disc, and I was getting nerve like pain. I would I, I would think that only like Keith Richard would be getting it like seventy something mm-hmm. at thirty nine. I like my hands were getting sleepy and stuff. I. I, I Man, it just tells you how much, again, endurance you have to have to be in a band and to go like this for fucking decades, right? I'm surprised my neck is in one piece. You know, my back, I have a back injury in my L5 disc bait going back to my skateboarding days. And I've had three epidurals during my time in Slayer. You know, I know pregnant women who haven't had three epidurals, you know. Um, Oh, my God. Like, you know, oh my God. handfuls of ibuprofen. I've been better now for the last few years. Uh, but a lot of Slayer, I was in agony and days off. I never left my room because I didn't want to walk. Walking sucked, you know, horrible sciatica and all that. You know, and then I go and get a epidural. It's the most painful thing in the world. First one, six months. I felt like a new man. Second one, Four months felt good. Third one, two months. And so they started working worse and worse. And yeah. but it's like being electrocuted, the pain when they, <gasps> when they hit that nerve, you know. So I gave up on that. I traveled with an inversion table through almost all of Slayer, you know, hanging upside down backstage to try to decompress that disc a little bit. But, uh, you know, I always say I'm like a car with a new engine. The engine works great. The suspension is shot. <laughs> <laughs> have you have you ever seen the a doctor of osteopathy are completely fucked up have you ever seen a doctor of osteopathy because oh, yeah, yeah 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 that was the best thing for me my mom this is how you know you're old my mom for christmas slash hanukkah got me a, she's like i have a, a, a do for you what what's that mom is it a gibson she's like no it's a it's technically a doctor and like this guy went and like touched my head and it made me feel better <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that that was a thing, but but she's like, I'll pay for the first five Sounds visits. Like and that was my gift. That's how you know you're old. It's like when your mom buys you a doctor. Nice, nice. <laughs> Real quick, um, be- before we I move on suffer, too far, uh, I just suffer sh- from bone spurs in my heel <laughs> that cause every one a couple of years. They'll cause micro tears in my Achilles tendon. <sighs> Fucking oh, horrible fun. shit. My knees are bad. I've had the elbow problems. My neck is good though. And that's, that's the important thing because I, I, I treat, I bang my head like I hate it. So, yeah, right. like I hate my head. You know, like it's my worst enemy. Like fuck that thing. But um, well, hopefully it stays good. attached. Good. My heart and lungs and shit's good. So, I mean, I just got a couple of things cut off my nose yesterday. You know, so are I saw that on your Instagram. Are you okay? Or like, yeah, is everything? Mean, they, they shaved it off. You know. I'm fine, you know, biopsy, hopefully it comes back clean. So So real quick, we gotta we gotta let Siobhan go. She's got she's got cooler things to do than, than hang with us right at the moment. I bet. <laughs> no, 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 no. I wish I could but stay. We, but you yeah, keep still, the conversation going. Well, well what are you doing that's so important, Siobhan? So we can I'm, like, I'm going I, I'm going to coach the next generation of musicians. So I, I do some sessions at a charter school for kids that nice. want to do some crossover music. So I'm very passionate about keeping kids into the violin. So that's awesome. <laughs> so I got to head out and do that. But show them some Exodus today. 
I will. I will. I'm going to take some. I'll be like, this is what we're studying today. <laughs> the importance Sweet. of good rhythm. The importance of good rhythm. This is a great example. Yes. I'm going to take that with me today. What you should do is you should arrange some a funeral hymn. And you okay. should do it on the violin because one of the coolest things we ever saw, Gary, was she does a, a electric violin and she started learning guitar solos. So we had her do like Randy Rhodes and all that. And there's nothing cooler, in my opinion, than Siobhan playing shred solos on a violin. Yeah. We have a friend who like um, several many years back, he'd come out a couple of times live and played a lesson in violence with us on violin. Nice. Ready. I got to look she that up. And just rips playing it, hooked her shit up through a boogie triple rectifier. And it was just nice. ripping crazy. I got to study track. that. It was so awesome. You should <laughs> figure out when they're coming to town. Online. I will. I'm going to look into it. <laughs> well, I right, won't well, interrupt you, the conversation. We so nice to meet you, Gary. Yeah. Keep, keep the conversation going. I'll see you guys next time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we weren't. We, we weren't sure if you were going to come on or not. So I was like, listen, man, we got to accommodate this dude. And Siobhan's basically a rock star herself. She ignored. She basically glossed over the fact she played in front of 80,000 people last night. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. She played the Ultra Music Festival with Kygo. That cra- and, and he's a DJ. But because it was so he went on so late, they had to cut part of the set. And she's like playing live. You know, the, the DJ doesn't understand live, you know, violins. So in front of 80,000 people, they're just like, you know, train wrecking. It's hilarious. No rhythm. Looking back at some of the, the tours throughout your life, can you maybe we can touch on some of the, the cooler experiences that still stand out? You know, those, those are always actually hard questions to answer because of with a career as long as mine, it kind of becomes this big Give me an 80 story. Give me an 80 story with Kirk Hammett. Go. Uh, the 80s, Kirk was in another band. <laughs> I don't have any No, story. I know. But you must have had some encounter because weren't you mad at him at some point? I'd be mad at him for fucking being a traitor. No, no. He gave me the band and made me the, 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 put me in the driver's seat. So, you know. Wait. Um, was that like the Godfather? Were you, did, so did he don you? Is it like, okay, now I'm going off to Metallica, so you must take over, and yeah, this, the choice like is that. yours. Yeah, this is, it's my baby now, and our baby, the bands, but, you know, it put me in the, in control to, to, to craft the band in the image I wanted, which was ultra-violent and aggressive, you know? So That's, what was that initial, like, uh, experience like having that kind of control you know and taking it in in the direction that you saw well bailoff and i made this shit heavy as fuck so (laughs) (laughs) you know and and the rest is history you know bonded by blood happened as a result okay so let me ask you this when did you see that metal wasn't as strong as it once was like i mean obviously we talk about like the like a lot of bands talk about nirvana and the whole seattle grunge movement but when for you did it like actually affect you where you're like man maybe i need to go look at being an rv guy um you know the whole capital records thing you know we um were courted by the label for years and but by the time we finally signed to the label and did an album everybody that was involved in signing the band had were gone we went from like being uh, very important to a lot of people at Capitol Records to like no one even knowing us, you know, like who are these guys? And uh, so, you know, it just, you know, grunge became popular, but you know, Pantera became bigger than ever in that same period. You know, I, I always, I'm an honest guy and I think all of us bands 
that complain about grunge. You know, we weren't making our best music at those times. You know, some of it, you know, some of the stuff we did, I look back now more fondly than I used to, you know, um, but um, just time for music ebbs and flows and things change and, and we're still here and that's all that matters, you know? So you said you played some like one-off shows and all that. You guys obviously still matter to people. What's that feel like now playing some of these songs decades later and people are still like mouthing the words and you can see that they know every riff in your hand. It's awesome. You know, especially when our audience is, is really gotten young, you know, over the last, you know, 20 years, you know, um, it's not unusual to like look out and the whole front row looks like they're 18 years old. You know, I've had like 16 year old kids come up to me and go, is it true? Bailoff used to smash up houses. (laughs) I never thought some 16 year old would want to hear stories about Bailoff destroying houses at parties, you know, but um, there's a whole nother generation keeping it alive because there, there aren't enough 50 something year old fans out there to do it. Most of our fans aren't my age. They're younger, you know. The older Exodus fans predominantly are probably in their 30s. So it's fucking awesome, you know, the reason I'm still here. We talk a lot about how bands are basically, they're just businesses at a certain point, at a certain level. Um, so having a business that has lasted this long is, is impressive. Um, can you talk about maybe some uh, interesting or, or difficult times from the that side of the music industry yeah absolutely you know i mean going back to the Capitol records thing you know we we did impact is eminent which is probably one of the heaviest major label albums ever put out and and you know it did enough it sold enough records now to have people doing backflips but at that time they didn't and so on the on force of habit we really worked with the record label and built relationships and involved them and played the whole album for a bunch of people in a boardroom and they stood and gave it a standing ovation and they still didn't do shit with it (laughs) you know they cut all our marketing they cut our tour support we had to give up we were offered the judas priest tour in europe and we had to turn it down because they said no we're not going to give you the tour support to do it you know shit like that you know it's, it's a business and it fucking sucks and it hurts and but you move on you know the music industry you know, going back seventies and eighties versus today, it's a completely different animal. What's the biggest benefit from, from doing what you do nowadays um, versus, you know, the biggest thing that you miss? Um, Miss, I don't know if I miss anything. I'm, you know, once again, I'm happy. I'm still here. I, you know, I'm, I'm super in tuned to the business side of things in my younger years, you know, um, we, allowed everybody else to handle that. And we didn't care, didn't want to know about any of it, you know, and we should have, we should have been involved with where our money was coming from and where it was going. And, you know, we were like, you know, do I have to work a day job? No. Is my rent paid? No. I mean, is it paid? Yes. And um, do I care about anything else? Where's the fucking weed, you know? (laughs) And, um, and we should have paid closer attention to all that stuff. Um, now you know i'm involved in all of it so you know it's a business and you know sure i'd love to like not have to be involved in everything you know i'd love to just be able to like be lackadaisical about it all but i can't you know well so that's very important because it seems like i mean everything from uh the spirit of bailoff 
to your entire band to the production to now it sounds like all the business ramifications like you are the guy behind this band so when you write an album first off now you're living in a quiet place you're talking about the animals outside and all that is that conducive to now being this giant company of things other than just being the guitarist that writes riffs for exodus I mean, I wouldn't call us a giant company. We're still a small band, you know, little old band. I mean that you're the giant company, Gary Holt. Um, no, because everybody's involved in all of it. You know, we all pay attention to the business side of things now. But, um, you know, I just, yeah, it's peaceful, quiet, and super conducive, I think, you know. So, like, are you walking around at 5 o'clock in the morning listening to, like, you know, mixes or whatever? Because I, fi- I feel like I'm no. going around in my neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> no, never. No, never. No, no, you ain't walking around here at five in the morning. It's dark. You'll f- fucking fall down the hill. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. That's yeah. well, that's good. That's good to know. Now, let me ask you this: What's inspiring you now? Because I mean, I love that you guys. This is what I want to hear when again when I hear the name Exodus. Like I want to hear persona non grata like i want to hear that like literally it makes me happy but like what's inspiring you now musically because you said you've been pu- always pushing the music stuff obviously you have all the guys in the past the shankers and richie blackmore are there new people out there that you're like holy shit that guy's on to something or that girl's on to something yeah there's all kinds of guitar players out there that are, are killer there's all kinds of or even artists yeah yeah you know but like most of the bands i'd name well they're not new you know like you know arch enemy you know michael mott's one of my top 10 guitar heroes and close personal friend. And he, you know, he inspires me every time I hear that fucking beautiful vibrato of his, um, you know, but I'm more inspired by anything by unfinished business, you know, like we're a band that disappeared for a while. We're back in every album we do. I'm out to like show that there's only Exodus in the world of thrash metal and a bunch of fucking pretenders. So, <laughs> <laughs> You know, I mean, there's a lot of great bands, great bands like Municipal Waste. Fucking love them. Like, and you know, they're on that short list of like bands I tour with only. And Power Trip, you know, rest in peace, Riley. You know, they're on that list of like my close friends who touring together was a blessing. And I'm only upset we only got to do it once. You know, but yeah. um, we you know just we just we're out late in our lives trying to make leave our mark, you know? And like, um, as you know, people have always considered as one of the founding fathers, but that's not good enough for me to just be known as one of the guys that started it. I want to be one of the fuckers who finished it. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. When you're writing now, uh, what's, what's your standard, um, process are you like a, a voice memo guy or are you are you do you demo anything you know when you voice have memos i got i got yeah. thousands of them i write riffs like fucking some people breathe you know like uh writing riffs is not difficult for me i've got you know i get really ocd about riff writing too and i like come up with something new and like and that's got my attention now and tom hunting on the last album would have to make me go back and like come on let's listen to some of the other stuff you've jotted down on your voice memos over the last couple of years. And I'd find like truly great stuff. Sometimes they're like five seconds long. It's a, a segue of a riff and I'll label it like brutal, heavy segue, you know, and I'll listen to the shit and Tom would go, wait, wait, play that again. That's killer. And I'm like, all right, you're right. It's awesome. It's killer. You know, but I, I get caught up in the latest riff and I forget about the mm-hmm. earlier. I mean, when we did uh 
War is My Shepherd on Tempo of the Damned in 2003. I wrote the opening riff, the verse, and chorus, sub-chorus, and chorus in 1987 and never used it. Really? I just doubled the <laughs> tempo. I, um, you know, it was halftime before, and I just double-timed it. You know, um, Yeah, I still have the old cassette of me recording it in a boombox in 87. And like, how did well, I it, ever use that? Well, let me ask <laughs> you this. It's classic. Now, now the album's like 14 years old, so this is even new. But I remember when Van Halen came out with, you know, uh, their la- the album in 2008, like a different type of truth. Um, the people got mad that like Eddie had written some of the songs in the 80s or done some demos, and I was like, why wouldn't you take the 70s demos and make that a new song? Like, because we know like with Prince, for example, that guy had like a million albums that it didn't even matter if he recorded something new; he could release things for the next hundred years. Like, what do you think about going back and finding stuff from the 80s and now it finally breathes life? Yeah, you know, it's it's nothing wrong with that. You know, people go, Van Halen are at their best in the 70s and how dare they use some stuff from the 70s? <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, why wouldn't you want them to, you know, like, you but, can't you know, win. usually for me, going back means just going back like, a year, a few months, you know, while actually recording, you know, I'm working on something new and, and, and I ignore the other shit. And then maybe on the next album, I'll dig back and like, all right, I remember that. That's really good, but I got sidetracked. So I'll use that now, but you know, I, I haven't backed up. I've got, let's see here. Let me look at my voice notes here. <laughs> voice memos. Oh, and they got crazy names too. <laughs> Hold on um, a lot of them don't even have names. New shit and G. Crunchy <laughs> idea and F sharp. S- ideas so for wait. Satan song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> twangy revised. Way too long, Twangy. Uh, new drop run through. Fucking new drop tune killer. New chunk monster. <laughs> new grooving chunker. Seven minutes of madness. <laughs> They're very so descriptive. Did you have an st- drop did- tune funk. <laughs> Creepy did you have an E. <laughs> did you have empathy for Kirk Hammett when you saw that he lost like all of his ability to write for the last Metallica record because he like lost his phone and it wasn't backed up? No, I had no empathy. Back up the phone, son. <laughs> <laughs> On that, but, you know, like, look, I mean, if I lost all of those, it would mean nothing to me. I'll just write new ones. So, like, that's a good way to look at it. it. I mean, if I listen through that, what I'll do is I'll listen through and I'll email me myself the stuff that's really promising. So I don't have to, because like it may say like chunky madness. And then there's 10 more after it that are like segues or little ideas mm-hmm. and shit like that. And I, I write riffs without a guitar all the time. So you're just singing into the phone? Is that no, no? I'll, I'll write down the notes in my oh, in literally my write fucking them. in notes. I underestimated you. It was like when David Ellison came to my studio and he was like, "Okay," and then he started like literally transcribing what we were doing. I'm like, "Wow, like you you're, you know a lot." And he's like, "Oh yeah, I used to study Autumn Leaves and Carol well, Kay." I don't I'm write like, it down in musical notation. I'll oh. just like I'll get an idea for a riff and like you know, and I'll write the the notes down, you know. Oh, kinda like, I got you. Like a primitive tab, you know. No, uh, that's cool though. In your vast uh, collection of voice memos, are, are there songs that you write that you just find aren't necessarily appropriate for Exodus, or are a little outside the bounds? That you, do you have any side, little hidden side projects that you you stash away for other uh, you know outlets, or are you strictly just kind of working around the the 
the criteria and format for that thrashy I mean, I've talked about, you know, with people about doing a solo album at some point, and there's always Exodus riffs that were written. Like, there are periods over the last, you know, 20 years where, you know, all of a sudden while I'm songwriting, uh, like, I decide I'm going to start smoking weed again. You know, and I'm talking about a little bit of weed because it doesn't take hardly anything to get me high. And then I listened back and like, oh, I smoked a little bit too much yesterday. That's a straight stoner rock album. <laughs> and um, they're like some super doomy shit. Just all of a sudden I'm grabbing the tuning peg and I'm tuned to like drop A. <laughs> like, whoa, slow down, dude. Halt, just getting too high now. <laughs> so that happens. But, you know, it's always up to this point in my life. It's always with the intention of Exodus, you know. Yeah, I th- I think you should look into it. I think that would be you know it'd be a cool outlet to kind of try some some stuff and see how how people like it because I I would love to no, hear I, the I, the little I bit too high like riffs. A, a super heavy rock album, you know. I, yeah. I love writing just rock riffs. Dude, I would love you to do like I would love you. I think you should do an all Ted Nugent cover record. That's what I think you should do. That would be the way. As you know, I, I wouldn't want to call it like you know. A, 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 that's that's like climbing Mount Everest. You know, everyone's climbed Mount Everest, but not everybody has made a Ted Nugent cover album that was successful. And you brought up some really good points <laughs> because, regardless of the fact that he's not the greatest person on the planet, he is arguably one of the greatest guys that ever picked up. Certainly, the Birdland from Gibson. And I got to tell you, I, I feel like that would be a really fun thing for you to do. Dude, I, Ted Nugent should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'll say that oh, first yeah. and foremost. So should he Judas Priest. He was, yes, absolutely. And so should Thin Lizzy and so should Iron Maiden. Ted Nugent at one point was the biggest rock draw in the world. And, um, you know, they'll never let him in because his views don't align with the Rock Hall and they don't align with me. You know, um, some stuff occasionally he makes some sense, you know, like, you know, we do agree on some stuff, but, you know, he's trying to get clicks and all that. But, yeah, I mean, he was a, a fucking an arena, a sold out arena every night, every city dude for a long time. And there's people in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame who are just total one hit wonders. And uh, but that's good enough for them, you know, um, but well, can I call them out? they, they never wanted to allow Kiss in. The guy was on record as saying Kiss will never get in. No, it's, fucking it's, Kiss, right? One of the greatest, biggest rock bands of all time weren't in like right away, you know? Like, fuck. I'm going to call him out right now because I went and interviewed Carol Kay, who's, for the people that don't know, she's been on 10,000 recordings. She's done everything from uh, Mission Impossible to the to MASH, to she played guitar for the Righteous Brothers, to Beach Bing Boys, Crosby. Right? Yeah, Beach Boys. Yeah, the Beach Boys Pet Sounds inspired paul mccartney so like she she's been on so much stuff that sting and eric clapton and i i think there's one other i don't want to misquote but i know those guys uh and paul mccartney all wrote to the rock and roll hall of fame and said why is carol k not in and they still haven't put her in and i'm convinced that they're gonna wait till she passes she just turned 87 the other day alex skolnick myself and bumblefoot did call her and wished her happy birthday and saying happy birthday to her but she for me is the goat on bass i mean watching her teach yeah. school gene simmons how to play bass both of them the, the fact that they're not in the rock and roll hall of fame and then dolly parton has to tell them hey <laughs> I'm not rock and roll, really, as much as like you might think so. I'm not rock and roll. Like that's ridiculous to me. Judas Priest, yeah. Iron Maiden, fucking 
You're out of your minds. I mean, I'm not rock and roll. They're still selling out arenas and stadiums, and they're not in. NWA's in, though. Yeah, yeah. And what they make, like two albums? (laughs) But they're a fucking rap band. I know, but they only made like two records, I think, an EP and a record. Their track. I mean, I'm a huge fan, but you know, they're. I love them, but they're not rock and roll. It was like a few years long. (laughs) Come on. Yeah. Fucking get it together, you know. Eminem's probably going to get in this year, though. Badass yeah. rapper. Well, well at what point? So, what point do we take our our rock? Uh, uh, we we take the awards away. Or I feel like award ceremonies are just stupid people giving stupid people stupid shit. Like it's not anybody. Well, not always stupid people getting this stuff. But like, who fucking figures this shit out, man? Like, I see these polls in Rolling Stone, like greatest guitarists or greatest albums, and they change every year. If they're the greatest, why would they change? Like yeah. who's coming in and taking out Purple Rain for number one? Oh, now it's the Strokes. Like, are you what? I'm confused yeah. by all of that. <laughs> I don't, it makes no sense. That was just a yeah, rant. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, sorry. It makes me angry. I, I like I, that's one thing that I tend to rant on is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know, not that I have anything to do with it or I will ever darken the doors. You know, but um. You know, when I well, you should they, fucking be in there, dude, for both Exodus and Slayer. I mean, no, for, it I, never I, happened. Slayer never happened. I mean, no, I know, but, but still, uh, it would. The Ted Nugent was, should be in there. Thin Lizzy should fucking be in there. They have huge hits that are on the radio today. They influence fucking millions of people. They were home to the greatest. Uh, Patty Smith's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and she's known as a rock poet. And Phil Lynott is not. No pun intended. Yeah, it's right. It's well, it's right. I mean, how I don't is he know. not in there? The guy was the greatest fucking lyricist, fucking rock poet of all. I, I, I and, and, and not just that, the guitars, as far as if you like the sound of harmonized guitar, Thin yeah, Lizzy literally wrote that they, they invented, invented it. it. Yeah. yeah, so the fact is that the, be no the rock Iron and roll Maiden without Thin Lizzy, everything has become grayscale, and it's like rock and roll for me, like they've made it not a grayscale, they've just turned it into something else. With the Rock yeah. and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when we were out on tour once with Slayer, we were offered like a guided tour of the thing on a day off. I said, nah, stay in. I don't want to go. <laughs> Fuck that. I'll watch fucking TV. What are some rooms? You, you heard it here first. They're waiting for Carol Kay to die. Because if Paul McCartney, Eric Clapton is not enough with Sting, fucking Sting, that guy. To get him, her in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, like what curmudgeon is saying, no, don't put the 87-year-old lady that paved the way for everybody in the history of fucking recorded music. Don't put her in. Yeah. Let's wait till she dies so she can get the award for <laughs> lifetime achievement. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've yeah, established that their their uh, judgment is uh, not Stupid. necessarily motivated no, by, heavy, by merit. For one, they hate heavy metal. They hate heavy metal. Hate it. Look at how long it took them yeah. to put Sabbath in. Fucking come on. They influenced fucking every band after them. Ah, yeah, no. That Randy Rhodes induction was kind of sad too. It was like two seconds long. It was like, oh, you I just... Ran- I don't watch that shit. Yeah, it, it kind of made me sad because it's like, this is how they're going to memorialize the guy that made me want to put on like a fucking guitar. Like, this is how they do it. And it's like, they obviously have to go do it because it's such a big acknowledgement, but like, he deserves better. Yeah, you all deserve better. Everyone that should be in there deserves better. You should be in there. 
fucking Sabbath should. I mean, they should have been in there. They should have been the first person. Sabbath. Let's go make our own Hall of Fame. Yes. Fuck it. <laughs> anyway, hey guys, I do have to get going. Yeah, well, so listen, we, we are, appreciate we're, we're, your time. We're at the end of the episode, uh, anyways, so that works out great. Right thank you, thank you for your time. Make sure you guys check out Exodus on tour. Uh, yeah, we'll have come links. On out. Yeah, come we're gonna have links below to everything. Fucking and, fun. Uh, All three bands are gonna destroy. It's gonna be rad. Destroy Testament each other. We're gonna destroy a little bit more. But, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but no, all, all, everybody's just bringing it, going to bring it, and everybody's super excited because we enjoy each other's company. And the reason we postponed it the first time is because we didn't want to go out on the tour and like have to like live in a total bubble from each other. Tom Hunting right. wasn't ready, also, and we all agreed, all three bands, let's do this a little later and make it fun. And so we're ready to have some fun, even oh, if yeah, I got yeah. bandages on for the first few shows i'm gonna go shopping today for some like spongebob band-aids or something <laughs> there you go. well hey man D- i just want to say princess bandages perfect i just want to say thank you for coming on the show and certainly when you come to boston you're i i'm i'm definitely going to come say hi to alex and all yeah. that and i will bring you I want to show you the Les Paul that I have that I believe yeah. to be the first Les Paul ever. So I will bring that to you. Alex can attest that he also agrees. I with saw me. the video. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely do it. So uh, thank you, man. We really appreciate you. My and pleasure. You're just awesome. So thank you for your positivity. <laughs> Rock on. So guys, check I'll out 20. in Boston. Yeah. 2020 D.com. We'll see you next Michael week. Michael Shanker approves. Thank you, as always, for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-D.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 85, featuring Maria Ferrero, publicist and artist manager. Check it out. The very end of the Megaforce Metallica Unity was a show at the Roseland Ballroom. It was Metallica, Raven, and Anthrax. And we managed all three bands. And that night we signed Metallica to Electra, Anthrax to Island, and Raven to Atlantic. And the next day, uh, Cliff Bernstein and Lars Ulrich had a meeting and they said, you know, we're going to be your new manager, fire Johnny. So Johnny signed them to a new label, no longer on Megaforce, and now they lost them as management. So Anthrax became like everything. And then, you know, the next level I said how Testament was like, gotta have them, gotta have my band. They were the big five. To me, Testament was even better than Metallica. Way better, because they had Chuck Billy singing. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind, uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick, and usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work, but we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh revisiting classic material talking about the new classics um all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that that you either love want to love or hate 
Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that that uh, has impacted your life, uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind podcast. <laughs>